Hey guys, welcome back to another Topics with Tim podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited because I have some new equipment that I've ordered and set up, so my podcasting is even more legit than it was before, so I'm very excited to be doing this podcast. I even have a pop filter for the first time, so if you notice a difference, got this fancy schmancy pop filter that everyone has, so excited about that. Look, before I go on to the podcast, which is going to be about Harry Potter once again, page two, I want to say that uh, it would definitely help me a lot with this podcast if you left a review, gave a rating, and you know, spread this podcast around, tell your friends about it. If you're not listening to this on a smartphone, I'd highly recommend you can get on, on any app that exists on smartphones. It'll have this podcast. So please like, subscribe, rate, share with people. I'm trying to grow my pod. I'd love to do this more often. Anyway, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. And we are just going to get right into it because I've actually got a lot of information to share with you about Harry Potter. Now we are on page number two of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Now, I have some questions that I'm going to actually answer that I brought up in the last pod that I'm going to answer for you. And we're just going to get right into it. So obviously we ended with the Dudleys and their greatest fear that somebody would discover, right? We don't know what that greatest fear is yet. Well, most of us do who are probably listening to this, but in case you don't, what is that great? What are they trying to hide? Right? That's what's going to get answered a little bit on page two. But before we go into that, I did have a couple of questions that I brought up on the original podcast with page one, and I want to answer those for you because I did a little bit more research. So one of the questions I I sort of came up with as I was doing the podcast last time was, how did they decide on Harry Potter's house for the movie? Now, I honestly could not find an answer to this. There was no particular article or anything that pointed me to any sort of reason on why they chose that particular house. So I, I could not find an answer on that one. However, I did find the map location. So this, the place here, and again, I'll, I'll say the address here, Picket Post Close, Winkfield Bracknell, and it's 40 miles west of London for some context. So 40 miles west of London. If you're ever in London, you want to go check out Harry Potter's OG house from the movie, then you got to drive 40 miles west. Another thing I learned that I didn't know was that that house was actually not used very much. They used it for the first movie, and apparently at some point, again, they, I wasn't able to find a specific day or a specific part in the movie where they switched, but they ended up switching to making their own set. They decided it was impractical to continue to film at this house location. So this place called Levenson, Leaves, I can't pronounce it, Leavesden, Leavesden Studios, which is in London, I believe, they constructed a another privet drive, basically identical, so they could continue filming. So if you want to look it up, it's on Google Maps. You can actually kind of see this cool backlot area that they have. It's owned by Warner Brothers, and they do a lot of different shooting there. I think they've actually even turned it into a, a park, from what I was reading, that you can actually visit. They get about 6,000 visitors a day at this park. And yeah, you can pay to kind of see the different sets that they've built. I think they have, from what I was showing on Google Maps, they have some of the Forbidden Forest. They have a Gringotts Bank. They have Diagon Alley. They have, obviously, Privet Drive. There's a couple of locations that they have as well. So apparently that's an attraction. If you're ever in in London there, in Le- Leavesden, 
Leavesden Studio there. You can actually pay and get to wander some of the sets that they built for that. So kind of cool. I did not know that about that. One of the questions I also was trying to answer from last time was, well, actually before that, let me give you a little bit more background on Leavesden, Warner Bros. Studios and Leavesden. So it is a film and media complex now owned by Warner Bros., but it's actually used to be the center of British aircraft production during World War II. So it looks like a bunch of big hangars, if you see from the Google Maps, because it used to be a hangar where they built British aircraft. So, which is kind of cool, because I mean, maybe that was where they were building the aircraft pre, you know, when Germany was trying to invade, or sort of there was the worry that that Germany would invade England, they would cross the Atlantic, and there was the battle, a, a, a lot of plane battle. There's a name for it. I'm blanking on it right now. I used to be big into World War II, but there was a plane battle above. England kind of for control of the skies that luckily the Brits ended up kind of holding them off. Otherwise, if the Germans had had won and kind of gained air superiority, they most likely would have attacked over the ocean. And we don't know. I mean, that could have changed a lot in history. For all we know, we could be speaking German because obviously you take England, where's the next place close that you can get to? Us. So, that was a huge victory for the, the British to kind of be able to hold them off in that regard to make them not want to invade. And this location here was probably at the center. It was a center of British aircraft production. So they were, this was the place where they were building planes in order to defend themselves against the Germans, which ended up being a huge victory. So kind of crazy that this little place that now is famous for Harry Potter sets was actually a really, really important place in history where the British fought off the Germans. So I thought that was really, really interesting, something I never would have probably ever thought or researched in any way if not for doing this podcast. So I'm finding out a lot of things that I would never have known had I not decided to do this podcast. So I'm really excited about all the random stuff we are going to learn together about Harry Potter and however however deep of a rabbit hole some of these things go to. So anyway, Leavesden Studios if you ever want to go and check out those Harry Potter sets. Another question that I was trying to answer from the last pod was pounds to dollars. And so currently, pounds to dollars, it is about a dollar, it's a dollar 33 per pound. So I think that house sold for 600,000 pounds. So in dollars, that's $800,000. So actually it was kind of surprised. I thought that was a little bit low, but maybe, maybe because they only filmed there for such a short time and who knows, maybe it's just not the greatest location. Again, I don't know. Again, it's still probably a lot more than it just a standard home like that would go for. But again, because it was the filming location of at least the first movie with Harry Potter, obviously it gained some value. So about 800,000 US dollars for that house. Another question that was brought up on the other pod that I was trying to answer was kind of contracts for actors and actresses on weight gain. And I couldn't find anything super specific. I spent about 20 minutes just trying to find whatever I could. And there were some links that I could go to some very legalistic jargon, but I just wasn't in the mood for that. So I just kind of read some general notes, found different actors who had to lose or gain weight for their roles. And so I assume, I assume that's written into their contract that they have to maintain a certain weight or get to a certain weight in order to to get certain roles. And so it was interesting seeing, in fact, I actually found an article which brought up a few different 
actors and what kind of weight gains they had to make. So one of them, obviously Christian Bale's one where he had to, he had to get really, really super skinny for a couple of different movies, like down to like 120 pounds kind of skinny. And then for other movies like Batman, when he had to be shredded, he had to gain and he, he went over 200 pounds. So he is really good at being able to manipulate his body to get to crazy low weights and then also bulk up crazy for, for some of his other, other movies. So, uh, Matthew McConaughey had to do the same thing. He had to gain 40 pounds for a role. A few different girl actresses had to gain 20 to 30 pounds. Jennifer Lawrence apparently tried to slim down for one of her, her roles, but then just ended up not working out. She decided not to. So I assume it's written into their contracts. Just just an assumption there. Again, I would probably have to dig a little bit further and read a lot of legalistic jargon to give you a better answer on that, but that's kind of the best answer I have for you. One story that kind of did come up as I was researching was the story of Chris Farley, who is one of I, is my favorite comedian all time. The dude is absolutely hilarious, and I actually read something where he he actually felt like he couldn't lose weight because he was the fat funny guy, and so as part of his thing, his his niche was to be fat. And obviously, we know that he died early and of drug overdoses and had a lot of issues with obesity because he was very obese. And so it makes it makes me sad, obviously, because I don't want anyone to feel like they need to stay fat in order to be loved. So. But I also noticed too, when I'm watching films, if an actor does lose weight, there is some times where I'm like, that actor kind of, or that, that character like loses a little bit of its true character. And I feel bad thinking or feeling that because again, that person's losing weight and slimming down. So, you know, kudos to them. That's awesome. Like we all, you know, it's obviously benefits us in today's day and age to be as lean as possible. But I also couldn't help but the feeling that that character lost a little bit of its character when that person lost weight. And so I feel bad about thinking of that, but hopefully obviously whoever that person is that slimmed down, maybe they can find a role doing a role that's more pertaining to their, their current weight. So I can't deny that that's out. That's a thing where, you know, maybe if Chris Farley had lost weight, maybe we would think a little less of him, but I got to hope I got to think and hope that he'd still be himself and funny and he could still find roles in which he didn't have to be the fat, funny guy to still be funny. Because there's obviously a lot of people that aren't fat that are funny. So the the optimistic side of me sees, hey, you know what? Who cares? But then the, the more pessimistic side sees, oh, you know, there are some times where character loses a little bit. And obviously, for example, in Harry Potter, and again, what brought it up was Vernon Dursley and his weight. That's why I originally even brought it up was, you know, obviously he's staying true to the character in the book. And so it would be weird to have a super skinny Vernon Dursley because the book doesn't describe that. So... It just kind of is what it is. It's one of those things where I'm sure those actors like Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, who are losing and gaining, I'm sure that's not healthy for them in the long run. But you know what? Sometimes I guess their sacrifice is required for really trying to, you know, be someone else and be a role where you have to really feel and experience what someone else is experiencing. I guess it does require some sacrifice, even in the health health department, to get that view across. So kudos to those people who are willing to make those sacrifices to, to do that, you know, cause obviously it makes for great film. I don't know if, I don't know if I could ever do a role where I'd have to gain a lot of weight though. Cause I'm trying to get into the acting world a little bit. I was in a musical before COVID that got canceled and I hoped, I hope I can find roles that more encourage me to be pretty healthy and fit. And I think there's plenty of roles that cause most people, when you're watching a movie, you want to see the hot person, right? 
you want to see the cute girl who's skinny and slender and you want to see the the dude who's like ripped and chiseled so i feel like there's plenty of opportunities out there for roles that would kind of i'd say for the most part most roles are they want the skinnier healthier more muscular person so shouldn't be too much of a problem in the long run anyway sorry about that going off on that little tangent let's move on so another thing I wanted to find out about was Dudley's age because on page one it mentions, let's see if I remember here, it mentions that he, the Dursleys had a small boy called Dudley, and in their opinion there was no finer boy anywhere. So I, wanted, so I was like, I was curious, how old is Dudley, especially in comparison to Harry? So it turns out he's about five weeks older than Harry, which creates a little bit of a discrepancy on page two that I think I may have found a little bit of a a hole in in the the plot or the storyline but we'll get to that so anyway let's start off with chapter one so obviously we're, we're we're getting introduced at the beginning of page two here to kind of mrs potter and mrs dursley and kind of what their relationship is because essentially the dursleys are trying to hide the fact that mrs dursley aka petunia is sisters with lily potter harry's mother who she's a witch she has magical abilities. And so the Dursleys are ashamed of this. They don't want anyone to know that they have this magical side to their family. And this was one of the reasons why on the last pod I brought up the idea of the possibility of Dudley being magical. Because technically Petunia, based on the, the genome thing that I, I researched last podcast, she could possibly be, possibly be carrying a wizarding allele, right? A recessive gene. And so it's possible that there maybe was a one in four chance that they would get a wizard or a witch instead of Dudley, who was a muggle. So that's why I kind of brought that up in the last page. So anyway, the book talks about how Mrs. Dursley, they hadn't met for several years. So it had been a long time since they'd seen each other. Mrs. Dursley, Petunia, she pretended she didn't have one because... She just thought they were as undurslyish as it was possible to be, a.k.a. they were magical. They were unique. They were weird, right? So she doesn't want to be that. She's trying to hide that part of her. She's trying to hide that aspect of her. So it also mentions the Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son, but they had never seen him. So they were aware that Lily and James Potter, Harry's father, had a son, but they had never seen him, met him, didn't know anything about him. And they, they obviously, they didn't want Dudley mixing in with a child like that. So they were afraid that if they let Harry and Dudley interact, which, I mean, they're around the same age, that whatever magical badness that they don't like would get rubbed off on Dudley or whatever. So they thought it better that they don't, don't interact. So page two continues. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, they wake up. It's a just a normal day. Nothing happening. Mr. Dursley, he picks out his most boring tie. Mrs. Dursley's gossiping away because that's kind of the neighborhood and kind of the person she is. She's a bit of a gossiper. Now, here's the discrepancy I found. I think it's a little bit of a hole in the timeline here. So it says that she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. Now, based on Harry's age, so Harry's age at this point, because we're going to get to a point where we're going to meet Harry, he is only 15 months old. So he's barely over a year. So we know that Dudley is a little about the same, about a month older. 
I don't, and again, I'm not maybe the best resource on this because I don't have kids, but I, at a year and a half, are you in a high chair yet? I feel like you're not in a high chair yet. I could be wrong about that, but I, I went, really? And the other discrepancy, so when Mr. Dursley leaves for work, he describes that uh, Dudley is having a tantrum and throwing cereal at the walls, and I'm thinking, are you eating cereal at one and a half? I don't know. It seems strange to me that you'd be eating cereal at one and a half, but I could totally be wrong. There could be a parent listening to this going, yeah, that's, that's normal. To me, it feels like that's not the right age. So maybe a hole there, or maybe I am just don't have enough knowledge about kids to to know the timelines of when high chair becomes a thing and when eating solid cereal becomes a thing. So I could be wrong on that. Anyway, so Mrs. Dursley wrestles the screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them notice a large tawny owl flutter past the window. And so my first thought reading that sentence was, what the heck is tawny? What does that even mean? So I looked it up. Tawny is a color, and it means either an or an orange-brown or a yellowish-brown. So an orange-brown or a yellowish-brown large owl was seen. Now, again, Mr. Dursley, he, he gets his briefcase. He, again, tries to kiss Dudley goodbye, but Dudley throws a cereal. And then he's, again, showing the type of parent Mr. Dursley is. He's, he's actually thinks, oh, it's so cute that Dudley is throwing a tantrum and throwing a cereal at the walls. Which, again, normal parent would probably maybe discipline their kid for that kind of behavior or not encourage that, but Mr. Dursley is totally fine with it. He thinks it's admirable. So it just goes to show you kind of the parent that he is. So, But before he he leaves, he notices something peculiar. He notices a cat reading a map. Now, I've been, I'm trying to find references to this map and I don't know what she was looking at unless there's a map of the town. But most towns don't have a map of their town. So, I, I, again, I don't know where this map came from. I haven't... I, I don't know where this map came from. I, it's weird. I was trying to look it up. I couldn't find anything about a map. But, of course, Mr. Dursley, he's confused because that's not normal to see a cat reading a map. So he jerks his head to look at the cat again. And there it is, a tabby cat standing on the corner. And that is how page two ends. We are sort of introduced to another character, and that character is Professor Minerva, Minerva, sorry, Minerva, hard to say, McGonagall. Minerva. Having trouble saying things on this pod. So interesting about Minerva, and again, we'll get into her more and more as as we get through this, but so she is a Scottish half-blood witch. So she's only half-blood. She has one magical parent, one muggle parent. She's the she's an only child. She's the daughter of Robert McGonagall, who's the muggle in the family, and a witch named Isabel Ross. She also looks like... So she... She's interesting because she... And I never heard this term before until now, but she is a what's called a hat stall. I didn't know this was a thing. So a hat stall is when you go to Hogwarts and you get sorted into your housing and you wear the hat. If you, if the hat takes a really, really, really long time to decide for you, I think five minutes or more was the example given, then you are considered a hat stall. It means you are so equally able to be in at least two different houses that the, that the, the hat has a really, really, really hard time, hard time sorting you and it takes a really long time. Apparently they're very rare they only come around every 50, 50 years or so. So she's a very rare 
witch in that she was a hat stall and she the sorting hat took five and a half minutes to decide if she was going to be Gryffindor or Ravenclaw so she's obviously very smart and very heroic brave because those are the two big qualities of both Gryffindor and Ravenclaw she could have gone to either one so interesting I never heard that before I guess you could sort of maybe call Harry a hat stall or somewhat of a hat stall it didn't take two I don't think it took five minutes for the hat to decide on Harry but the Harry obviously could have gone to Slytherin and the hat was saying you'd be fine or or not so he could kind of be considered a hat stall as well so I won't give anything more away about her I'm sure I'll bring up more about her as we go because there's a lot more information on her and what she what she did but I just thought it was interesting to find out a little bit about your her history that she's a half-blood she's an only child and she's a hat stall and could have gone into Ravenclaw potentially. So another thing that I wanted to look up in this page, I wanted to find out the age difference between Aunt P- or Petunia and Lily, the sisters. So what I found was that we they, they don't know for sure because JK doesn't give exact dates, but we can assume that Mrs. Dursley, Petunia is two to five years older than Lily. So she's she's the older sister. And that's what we know about their age. So just interesting interesting to know kind of the history of, of that. Again, we'll get more into James Potter as we go. I don't want to give too much away about him yet. Another thing that I thought was interesting, so it talks about Vernon getting in his car and driving away. And so I looked in the movie and he's driving a certain car in the Sorcerer's Stone. And what I found out was that this car is called a Voxer Vetra is the type of car. And the funny part is that the car he's driving is a 2000 Voxa Vetra. Now, the movie is supposed to take place around 1991 and 1992. So technically, that car does not really fit the time frame if we're getting real strict on, on what types of things should be in that shot that car is eight or nine years older than what the time frame is supposed to portray. So I don't know if they knew that and just didn't care or if that's something that they just found out later that they had done. But that car and the other cars on the street are of the same model. So they're the Voxer as well. And the Voxer is actually a real a real car car brand in, in England. So I thought that was interesting that they were inconsistent with that throughout the movies really another thing I learned because one question I had when reading it described McGonagall and we know that Minerva from if, if you know again this is a spoiler I guess if you don't know but she is a what's called an animagus and I will I will probably do a little bit more animagus research on another pod but an animagus they can turn into animals they can transfigure into animals and so she is notorious at the movies and books as being a quote unquote tabby cat she can change into a tabby cat, be a tabby cat for a while, and then change back to a human whenever she wants. Fully clothed, whatever, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> so I thought, what the heck is a tabby cat? What does that mean? Is that a breed? Is that tabby cat? I, again, so I went down the rabbit hole of tabby cat lore to find out that tabby cats are not actually a breed. That they are... It, it, it is a tabby cat is basically any cat can be a tabby cat because any cat has fur and I guess there are certain fur I'm trying to think of the word here certain fur 
characteristics that would make a cat more or less tabby. And so tabby cats are the ones that kind of have more of striped lines as it goes down their fur. And they also are known for having what's called the M. So if you look on a cat's forehead, if you have a tabby cat, look on the forehead of the cat, and there'll actually be lines that kind of make an M on their forehead, kind of going over, kind of in between their eyes. There's a bit of an M. And that is also supposed to be the mark of a tabby cat. And there's some some funny lore for how those that forehead was given to those cats based on different religious ideas that these cats were blessed with this this M. So I thought that was kind of hysterical kind of hole I went down to find out about tabby. Now, now the fur on a tabby cat can be useful because it can be camouflaged. So we see tigers, lion, not not lions, but tigers, more cats. They have those striped patterns and different things, and it's kind of used as camouflage. So, yeah, not a breed, just the type of fur that's typically more striped, and you got the M on the forehead. If you got one of those, apparently you got a tabby cat. So they're supposed to be pretty cool. If you ever want to go down that rabbit hole, go for it. Oh, some famous tabby cats. Garfield is a famous tabby cat. The grumpy cat from all the memes is a famous tabby cat. So there you go. You, you learned something today that that you didn't know. All right, so obviously we're leaving off on another little bit of a cliffhanger on page two. Again, we've been now introduced to the Dursleys. We know about the Dursleys' relationship with the Potters and how that connection is there. It's through Lily Potter, Mrs. Dursley's sister. We know they're ashamed of that. They want to hide that as much as possible. They know they've they've tried. They know that Harry exists. They don't necessarily know his name yet. But they know they have a son. They know they want to keep him away from Dudley because I think Dudley's so perfect and wouldn't want him to catch any magic, you know, whatever they're worried about. It's a pretty normal day. Mr. Dudley's probably about to head to work to, or Mr. Dursley, I keep saying Dudley. Mr. Dursley is going to head to work at Grunnings, his, his drill place. Obviously, we already can see the tendency of Dursley or Dudley to, God, that's so confusing that they're Dursley's last name, but Dudley's the kid's name. So confusing. We know that Dudley is already throwing tantrums, and they're already appreciating him for throwing tantrums, so we know how that's going to turn out. And then we know that Mr. Dursley saw something very strange, a cat reading a map, a tabby cat, a.k.a. Professor McGonagall, reading a map. So he's a little bit freaked out, and we'll find out on the next pod what happens next. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on page two, Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone, chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Again, lots of information to lots of rabbit holes that I'm discovering that I can go down based on what I'm finding in these pages. So hopefully you enjoyed the information and that you're a little bit more Harry Potter knowledgeable than you were before. So I just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying this podcast. I hope you like, subscribe, comment, share this around. If you got some Harry Potter friends, say, hey, look, this is going to be a long journey. We're only on page two of how many pages of this book? This particular one has about 309 pages. So this is going to be quite a journey, and I'm glad that you have joined with me on this journey. And it will be a long journey, so bring your friends along for the ride. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.